So Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 26. So Romans chapter 3, verse 10, and it begins, the passage begins with a series of quotations from um, Psalms, various Psalms, Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thanks very much, Mark. Do keep that open. Well, this evening, as you're uh, maybe aware, we begin a new series, which we've called The Glory of the Cross. And we've called it The Glory of the Cross for a very simple reason. Because the cross is the most public display, the most public showing, the most public revealing of the fullness of God's character and of his glory. It's at the cross that we see the fullness of God's love. It's at the cross where we see the measure of God's mercy. It's at the cross where we see God's holiness and hatred of sin. It's at the cross where we see just how far God was willing to go to redeem this broken world to himself. 
It's at the cross where the glory of God shines most brightly. And that's why our aim for these next four evenings together isn't that we just accumulate knowledge, that we go away with a nice, simple, one-line definition for these four rich theological words that you see there on the screen. Our aim is that we stand at the foot of the cross. And as we do, do so, we stand in awe of God. Because the cross is both the source of our salvation and the crowning moment of God's glory. So these next four evenings, we're going to stop for long enough to stand at the foot of the cross. And as we do, acknowledge something of the glory of God. So shall we pray as we begin that we we begin to see the cross as God would have us see it. So let's pray together. Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, our prayer is that we too would be able to echo those words in our own hearts, that we would resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, that we will build our lives upon this great foundation. And over these next few weeks, we pray that you would help us to lift our eyes again to the cross, that we might see more clearly and that we might appreciate more fully all that Jesus went through there for us. And we pray for his name's sake. Amen. One of the most magnificent animals that I think I've seen in the wild is the giraffe. I love the giraffe. I went on a safari to Kenya when I was 13 years old and, and we saw a whole lot of stuff. We saw lions, we saw zebras, we saw elephants, we saw hippos. But there was something so special about the giraffe, so ungainly, yet so regal at the same time. And, and this was the time before digital cameras. So I went out armed with about five or six films, those ones you actually have to put into your camera. And you get back home and you get them developed and you've got no idea what sort of photos are going to come out at the end. These aren't my photos uh, at all, by the way. Uh, but I reckon I, use, I must have used about half my films that whole holiday in the space of one hour. As we saw this herd of giraffes and I'm just snapping away because every different angle, it's like you see something new and, and beautiful of these majestic creatures. And you see, it's a little bit like that with the cross. If we look at the cross from just one angle, if we have just one photo of the cross, then we will miss something of its beauty and its wonder. But as we look at the cross from different angles, different perspectives, different pictures that the Bible gives us, so we'll see a richer picture of God's salvation and of all that he did for us at the cross. And so over these next four weeks, we're going to look at four different pictures of the cross, four different angles of this same one glorious event, four different words that we're going to be unpacking over these next four evenings, justification, atonement, redemption, and reconciliation, which together give us a clearer picture of what God achieved at the cross for sinners like us. And this evening we're going to be focusing on that first word up there, the word justification, which is a legal word. And so our setting for this evening is the courtroom. 
And our backdrop for the evening is the first three chapters primarily of the book of Romans, which if you were to read through it, is loaded with legal words, words that would be commonplace in a court of law today. If you were to stand in a courtroom for a day, you would hear many of these words that we're going to be thinking about this evening in the first few chapters of Romans. But of course, in the book of Romans, the, the courtroom that is in view isn't a courtroom that you would find somewhere located in this world. It is the courtroom in heaven. And the judge who presides is our gracious, ruling, creator, sovereign God. And so this evening, we're going to journey in these few chapters into that heavenly courtroom. And as we do, we're going to meet two main characters, a righteous judge who is God and a guilty defendant who is all of humanity without Christ. And so as we think about the righteous judge presented to us, have a look down, if you would, at chapter 1, verse 17, where we're introduced to something of God's righteousness. This is what it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness or the rightness of God is revealed to us in the gospel. The question is how? How do we see the righteousness, the rightness of God in the gospel? Well, the answer, I think, is given to us, or part of it is given to us, in the following verse. Verse 18 The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Do you see the parallel in verse 17? The righteousness of God is being revealed. In verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. God's righteous anger, his right action against all that is wrong in this world. You see, the Creator will hold to account this world for the way that we have treated him. And he will do so on the basis of both our motives and our actions. Have a look at verse 2 and verse 16 of of chapter 2 that you see there on the screen. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. God will hold us to account on the basis of the secret things of our hearts, our our inward desires and our motives, those things that are hidden from most of the world, but God sees them to the very depths of our hearts. But he also hold us account for our outward actions, the things that are clear and visible to so many of us. You see, we have a righteous judge who is God, who sees all things and who knows all things. But secondly, we have a guilty defendant. So at the end of chapter one, we get this pretty, pretty desperate character reference, if you like, for humankind. Let me read to you from verse 29 to the end of that chapter. This is a pretty devastating snapshot, a CV, if you like, of humanity. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. 
They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And you really read a snapshot of the human heart like that. It's not surprising, is it, that God's judgment will fall, as we read in chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, by nature, people's hearts are stubborn and unrepentant. They're stubborn because they refuse to change. They persist in going their way, my way, without God, disregard of our Creator. And the Bible says, by nature, we've got unrepentant hearts. To repent is to turn around, to turn away from sin, to come back to God and to say sorry and to walk God's way. But the Bible says, by nature, hearts are stubborn and unrepentant. We persist in going our way, regardless of what God has said. And as a result... We learn that God's righteous anger is building. It's been stored up. So it says for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed like the floodwaters behind a mighty dam. Each day that goes by when the unrepentant heart refuses to return to Christ, God's judgment is building. God in his patience is holding back that day. Like the floodwaters behind a mighty dam, incredible grace, giving people the opportunity to turn back to God and to say sorry and to have their sins forgiven. But you see, the day will come when God's patience runs out and his, his need to bring justice, full and final justice in this world will come. And the floodwaters of God's judgment will wash across this land and not one person without Christ will stand. Yet even though God has made these things abundantly clear to us in his word, so many people still seek to justify themselves based upon their own moral standard or their performance or their behavior, which of course is an incredibly foolish thing to do when we understand that God sees the heart. It's like standing before a magistrate with nine points on your license, having been caught speeding once again on camera, and you stand there and you defend yourself on the basis of your record. It is your record that condemns you. We have a broken track record. All of sin, Romans 3.23, and fall short to the glory of God. Romans 3, 10 to 12, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who, who accepts God. All have turned away together. They have become worthless. By nature, we are unrighteous. And so on that final day, when we walk into the heavenly courtroom and that file with Colin Wells on it is pulled out of the archive, without Christ, my my life will be laid out, all of it, before God. And without a saviour, we will stand in the dock before a perfectly just, good, loving, righteous, and holy God. And the hammer will fall. Guilty as charged. That is our position without Christ. That is humanity 
without a saviour. Have a look at the screen. We, I, I know we've covered a lot of ground in a short space of time, but here's the summary. We have a righteous God who is judge. We have a defendant, me and you. We have a crime, rejection of God's loving rule. We have evidence that is that is compelling and overwhelming. We have a verdict that is guilty as charged, and we have a sentence that is irreversible and eternal. And without Christ, this is the predicament for all of humanity. Which leaves us, I think, asking a hugely important question, which is this. How can I, how can you, be in the right with a righteous God when I am unrighteous by nature? How can I, with all the, the waywardness and weakness of my heart, all the, all the broken motives and desires, how can I be in the right with a perfectly righteous God, when by nature I am unrighteous? And of course the answer to that question is found at the cross. Because it's at the cross where the glory of God shines most brightly. So let me read to you these words for, that we just read, Mark read out to us. Romans chapter 3 from verse 21, which goes on to expound the cross And what Christ has done to put people like us in the right with him. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The word justified that you see there in verse 24 comes from the same Greek word that's also translated righteous in verse 22. To be justified is to be declared righteous in the right with God, not guilty. And you see, here's the wonderful thing. For the Christian, God has changed the verdict. He's changed the verdict from guilty to not guilty. That's what we read in verse 24. We are justified, declared not guilty in the right with God. And we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You see, there is only one way to stand before God and hear those precious words, not guilty, righteous, beloved. And that is by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done at the cross on our behalf. Because 2,000 years ago, God incarnate walked in this world. The only innocent one who's ever lived. He walked through life blameless, without fault. The truly righteous life, humanity as it was meant to be. And yet he came to carry my sin to the cross. To bear it upon his own shoulders. He paid the penalty for the crimes that I've committed. So that one day I might stand before God with his perfect track record. It's what Martin Luther calls the joyful exchange. Jesus takes my sin. 
He takes my sin, all of it, and he gives me his righteousness. My broken track record exchanged with the perfect, righteous track record of the Lord Jesus. Summed up perfectly for us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't just hold sin at arm's length, loosely associating himself with our sin. He became sin. He took our sin upon himself and he was treated as sin deserved. But it wasn't his sin. It was ours. Our sin lay to his account and his righteousness given to us. As John Stott says so beautifully in the The cross of Christ. This is the heart of the cross. God in Christ substituted himself for sinners like us. Him for me. God in my place. He stood in the dock. In that courtroom before God. And he was found guilty in our place. So that I might walk out freely justified by his grace. As we sing in that most majestic hymn, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Why? Because he bore it. It is well. It is well with my soul. And that great Wesleyan hymn that we finished this morning with no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Not my righteousness, his Credited to me, given to me freely by grace. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And now I can claim the crown through Christ my own. And so we come back to the question that we asked just a moment ago. How can I, how can you be in the right with a righteous God when by nature we are unrighteous? Answer through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary work at the cross. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.22, this righteousness is given. It's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, righteousness is God's requirement and it's God's provision. It's what God demands, righteousness, but it's also what he gives to us. Martin Luther was asked before his conversion, do you love God? Do you know what he said? He said, no, I hate God. Because he saw righteousness only as God's requirement, a requirement that he could never meet. And so his heart was filled with bitterness towards God. It wasn't until his conversion, when God by his spirit awakens a heart and helps him see grace, That righteousness isn't just a requirement, a demand, but it is a free gift given to us by God that comes by faith, credited to the believer's account. And here's the wonderful thing. It comes to us the moment we believe. You see, I think this is one of the most beautiful things about justification. Justification, being declared right before God, not guilty. 
It isn't just something that will happen on that final day when I enter the heavenly courtroom and stand before God. It is a present reality now. If you're trusting in Christ today, you're not guilty. Today you are righteous, perfectly spotless before a righteous God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now, today, this very moment, because Christ has died for your sin, past, present, future, all of it, whole lot, done with, dealt with fully, finished work of the Lord Jesus at the cross. Is that not the most liberating thing? The amount of people I've spoken to over the years, primarily older young people and young adults who are, who are Christians but who are, who are struggling with a particular sin in a certain area and it's grinding them down because they're carrying around this, this whole weight of guilt with them. Just like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, it's what contacts are looking at in these coming weeks. Do you remember Pilgrim? I'm going to read it to you in a minute when he, he's walking around with this huge weight upon him. And not until he stays at the cross for long enough does this weight of guilt fall from his shoulders. Let me read to you this short little passage as we marvel at the fact that justification deals with guilt now, not just righteousness before God on that final day. Now in my dream I saw the highway along which Christian was to travel was closed in on either side by a wall and that wall was called salvation. So up this way, burdened Christian ran, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran till he came to a slight upward slope on the top of which stood a cross. A little below it at the bottom was a tomb. I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders and fell off his back. It began to tumble down the hill and continued rolling till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. How glad and light-hearted Christian was. With a happy heart he said, he's given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still for a while to look and wonder. He found it very surprising that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden like this he gazed and gazed till the springs in his head sent tears down his cheeks what a beautiful picture that is isn't it and that happens when we stand still at the cross for long enough to pause in the busyness of life and appreciate fully what christ has done for us we are fully justified in god's sight through faith in jesus fully not partially fully justified i wonder whether that has has registered for us this morning that your sin past present and future has been done away with once and for all by the death of christ at the cross and that's why we can sing isn't it with such confidence as we will do shortly no guilt in life No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. It is at the cross where the glory of God shines most brightly. When God's outrageous character is most fully displayed before the people of this world. And of course that is just one lens through which we understand the richness of our salvation. 
Justification is just one picture of many. And so next week we're going to step out of the courtroom and for a moment we'll leave all those legal words behind and we're going to step into the temple as we begin to explore the wonder of God's atonement. But let me leave you with a quote, which I'm going to read you on the screen, a quote from John Piper. And I'll leave you for a few moments to think about this before we sing again together. The glory of the cross. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort for every pain. It is at the cross where the glory of God shines most brightly. Just take a moment to reflect and then Jack in the band will lead us in a few songs.